0: On Living Seeds Farm we grow anywhere between 800 and 1,200 varieties every single year. We either have the seed or we know where to locate the seed. What we allow is we allow people to come into the show garden and they can literally walk through the show garden, pick produce and taste it. Growing your own veggies is really easy. Take some seeds, stick it in the ground, water it and it'll grow.
1: Hi, I'm Melanie Walker and this is Grounded. If gardening is your passion, this is the place to be to find out about what's happening in the gardening world. And welcome to another episode of Grounded. Yes, with me, Melanie Walker. And it's an interesting thing, this gardening thing. I've always thought of seeds as being incredibly magic. This tiny little thing that suddenly grows something, first of all, quite large, and then something that you can eat as well. So for me, seeds are the most magical things on earth. It's always fun when somebody comes along and gives you something and says, here, have a present. And it was a garden day back in 2017, you know, the National Garden Day where everybody does something to do with gardening, which I think is a fantastic thing and a lovely way of getting people who aren't really involved in it involved. And uh, sitting at one of the well-known gardener's places, Jane Griffiths of Jane's Delicious Garden, who we've spoken to fairly often before. And we all had to bring a garden related gift for everybody else that was there that day. One of the presents that we were given were these five little cardboard rolls with seedlings in them. There was a lemongrass. There was chili, the tomato. I can't remember what the other ones are, but I'm going to ask our guest if he can remember. But the one, I'm not even sure what this is. It's some kind of pepper or chili or something. Two years later is still going completely ballistic and has put so much fruit forth that I don't even know what to do with it, which is why I've asked Sean Freeman to come and chat to us from Living Seeds because their product is simply absolutely fantastic. And thanks for coming and joining me. Thank you very much, Melanie. So what is that thing that I have
0: growing in my garden? We used to call them pepperdews, but we've been spoken to and we're now no longer allowed to use that word. So they are pecan peppers. We have used the original name. They used to be called sundews in Rhodesia before Mm. it became Zimbabwe. So we now use the name sundew for those pecan peppers.
1: Why are you not allowed to call them pepperdew?
0: Because Pepperdew International have trademarked the name and the spelling that we used was phonetically similar to the pepperdew that they have trademarked.
1: I was always under the impression that things like chilies and peppers would be kind of annual plants. They'll die down during winter and you'd have to plant a new one. Mine has gone completely mad. It's almost as tall as me. It has taken over the entire bed where it's planted. Is that natural?
0: Yes, it is. There's certain peppers, so a capsicum and nuem, which are the sweet peppers that you normally buy in the shops. Mm -hmm. Those are normally annuals. All of the others will grow for multiple years. We know of a sundew plant down in the Eastern Cape that's about 15 years old. It's the size of a small tree.
1: Okay, so I think I might have planted it in the wrong place then. I'm going to have to <laughs> try and transplant it. But this is one of the things, I mean, I met you first a few years back um, where you had a tomato tasting. Yes. How many different varieties of tomato did you have there that day? I know I love the Greek tomato was my favorite.
0: Sure, Melanie. We normally try and do about between 30 and 40 tomatoes. Otherwise, it just gets too much. It becomes too um, too overpowering and people start to lose the nuances with with all the different tomato Mm. varieties. So we normally try to do about 30 tomatoes, so it's probably around there, about 30 tomatoes.
1: And there were tomatoes there that were black and purple and orange and white and red and you name it, green tomatoes, the whole lot. I mean, who knew that there were so many different kinds of tomatoes?
0: We do about 140 different types of tomatoes. I know that there are over 5,000 named varieties of open pollinated tomatoes on the market.
1: So are these actually heirlooms or are they hybrids or what?
0: They won't be all heirlooms, they will be heirlooms, they will be open pollinated varieties, these are not hybrids. The minute you bring hybrids into that mix, you're talking fifty, sixty thousand 60,000 different kinds of tomatoes. Mm. Easy.
1: So what is the difference between then an heirloom say and an open pollinated? Why are they different? Okay, so
0: an heirloom tomato would be a tomato that has a heritage being handed down through a family or or through a community for X number of years. An open pollinated tomato would be um, a variety of tomato that breeds true to type, but Mm -hmm. it could have been developed last year.
1: Okay, so which ones have you got that are heirloom then?
0: Okay, the tomatoes that we have over here, we've got green grape, Mm -hmm. which is an heirloom. We've got tomaquet Depe de penjar bombeta. <laughs> okay, de, say that again.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Tomaquet de penjar de bombeta. Is that from Spain? It's from Spain. It's actually a very, very unique tomato, and I'll tell you about that now. We've got um, yellow boy, which is an heirloom, and then this is blue, blue cream berries, which is an open pollinator. It's one, one of the newer tomato varieties, but it breeds true to type.
1: It's funny, we never really think of, I mean, I know we get beefsteak, and we get like little baby plums or cherry tomatoes and things. but never thought like... How many different types there are just in actual tomato itself, and we haven't even started going into all the other vegetables yet. Correct. Yeah. So, a lot of
0: people have this have this idea that there are three kinds of tomatoes. You get a, a salad tomato, a cherry tomato, and a paste tomato. Mm-hmm. And there are tomatoes for specific purposes. So, a sauce tomato and a paste tomato are two different tomatoes. They There's, are definitely yes. I didn't know that. one you want dry, and the other one you actually want some liquid out of it. Okay. There's tomatoes for sandwiches that don't lose a lot of water. So one of the problems when you're making a tomato sandwich is that you slice a tomato and it leaks a whole lot of liquid onto your slice of bread and it makes your bread all soggy.
1: But the ones that we're buying in the shop, what are they? They're just salad tomatoes.
0: Those are a hybrid tomato. It's it's an 80, 90 gram rock hard round tomato. It can be picked by a machine. It can be transported thousands of miles. It won't ripen. It actually has a gene inside it called a rin gene, Mm. which is a ripening inhibitor. So the tomato will will stay on the supermarket shelf for two weeks, you stick it inside your fridge, it'll live there for another three weeks, you pull it out and you can still use it, whereas these tomatoes won't last more than a week.
1: Okay, so I, I think I'd rather have the ones which I've just picked off of a vine immediately to be honest with you. Okay, but you were saying these ones, the ones with the very Spanish names are very special, why is that? It's called a storage tomato,
0: so you can store these tomatoes over winter, mm. okay, and How you pick the tomato is you want the entire tomato vine to be bearing tomatoes. Mm -hmm. And right at the end of autumn, you lift the entire plant out of the ground with the tomatoes actually hanging on on the vine. Mm -hmm. And you'll hang the vine up and just let the leaves dry up, but the tomatoes won't fall off the vine. They'll actually stay on the vine and they won't go rotten. And what will happen is these tomatoes will very, very, very slowly become raisins, tomato raisins.
1: So air-dried tomatoes.
0: It's like an air-dried tomato, but it literally dries on that vine. And you can go through and pick tomatoes off this vine and use them throughout the whole winter. We've actually picked tomatoes. These tomatoes that had actually dropped inside one of our tunnels, we picked them five months later, and you can still pick the tomato up. It's slightly wrinkled. You open it up, smear it onto, onto some bread, and it tastes awesome.
1: My goodness. What I like about getting older is that this thing that I have that you have to learn something new every day. Absolutely. And days like these, I'm learning more than just one thing every day, which is the way it should be. But one of the things I know that you do, and we're going to be talking about, okay, because um, if you're an obsessive compulsive chili eater, this is the place to be speaking about it. But before we get on to <laughs> chilies, because I know we'll get in, dive down that rabbit hole and not come back again. Um, what did Italians do before? they had pasta and tomatoes, because tomatoes actually only got across to the Europe in around about the 1600s. From
0: South America, Caric. From South
1: America. And then it was only in the 1500s where Marco Polo brought back pasta. What did, did Italians eat before then? I have no idea. <laughs> it's been bothering me for a while. If anybody knows what they used to eat, if it was just like, you know, finding truffles and eating pig haunches or whatever, because they wouldn't have had potatoes. Salami. So they wouldn't have been able to make gnocchi. Salami. Lots salami. salami. did they have herbs, you know? I mean, one asks these questions. Look at all the Mediterranean herbs that they have. Mm. But I'm thinking they didn't have tomato, and that is like the most important thing in Italian food. How can you have a pizza without tomato? Well, Seriously.
0: It, the interesting thing is that the original tomato wasn't red. When they brought them over from South America… They were white. No, they weren't. Well, close enough. They were purple. Close enough.
1: They were yellow. Correct. (laughs) I'll keep going through all the colors until I get there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) The original name of a tomato was Pomodoro, which means golden apple.
1: Oh, my goodness. Okay. Now I've got that. That there makes a go. lot of sense. But now we've got black tomatoes, one of the ones. We've got the green tomatoes. And fried green tomatoes, of course, not just a fantastic movie, but also something quite nice to eat. There is specific tomato as well. It's not a, t- a tomato that hasn't ripened, huh? Hey?
0: That is correct. So... This is a green tomato, and unfortunately the listeners can't actually see it, but I have a love affair with green tomatoes. As far as I'm concerned, the green tomatoes are the tastiest tomatoes. Mm. And fried green tomatoes was an awesome movie. Just don't eat the ribs. (laughs) Okay. Do you remember the movie? I'm trying to. Okay, it's time to watch the movie again. I
1: know. I was just thinking I haven't seen that for years. I should definitely take a look into it. All right, so we got the tomatoes, and then, of course, when we're going to make tomato pasta sauce, we will make something which has got a bit of chili in it. How many different varieties of chili are you putting out at the moment?
0: We grow 240 varieties of chili. Yeah. Um, We sell about 100, I think it's about 150 varieties. I'm not 100% sure.
1: What kind of chilies? I mean, everything from so, Cabaneros to...
0: So we do everything from your sweet peppers. Mm-hmm. Um, we do about five or six different kinds of sweet peppers, different colors, purple, yellow, orange, red, etc. Then we do the mild peppers going all the way through to the superhots. We've been supplying Carolina Reaper seeds, which are the hottest chilies in the world. Um, and we do about 20-odd different types of super hot chili varieties.
1: Okay, so which are the ones that um, they see... Have you seen this thing on YouTube with these people who have to eat one chilli, the hottest chilli in the world. Have you not seen it? Yes, I
0: have. We actually run a a chilli eating competition.
1: I know, I know. of all places, and you're going to be running it very soon as well. I mean, why is there this fascination with chilli? What is it with people that, you know, are we going to have a chilli eating competition? And I'm one of the people who's going to be first there and saying, give me the chilli, I'll eat it. And I have won many a a bet at restaurants eating like, you know, Vindaloo kind of hot, hot, hot stuff. So I'm quite happy doing it. But why is there this thing that people can't resist proving that they can eat hot chilies.
0: I think the people that can really eat hot chilies get a massive endorphin rush. Uh, My wife and I go to Nando's. We go through half a bottle of Nando's sauce on Nando's' account because it's just awesome. So (laughs) we just love the hot stuff.
1: I went to a a wonderful thing that they put on with, um, I think it was the Sunday Times, and they had a chili tasting competition where all the people from around the country sent in their particular little recipe, and they had a whole panel of us who were sitting there and going, okay, fine, we're going to taste all of these chilies and decide which is the best. I must tell you that later on that day, I was not a happy person. (laughs) That is one of the problems with chilies.
0: Absolutely. So I've brought you a chili now. It's, uh, we released this variety. We got the variety about six years ago from Madagascar. Mm-hmm. And that that chili is called Saki Lani Lali. Pretty, Saki Lani Lani. I don't know what it means. That's the name, that was the name on the packet. Okay. So I'm pretty sure you can smell the smell in the air. That fruity, fruity smell. It is abso- Ooh, yeah. Ooh. absolutely outstanding. So it's not a super hot It's it's in the same range as a habanero. It is one of the habanero or uh, one of the chenins varieties, but it is probably the fruitiest chili that I've come across in a long while.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I'm going to have a taste of that, but probably just when we we take a bit of a break, <laughs> 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 because otherwise I might not be able to speak for the rest of it. Now we've also got some black peppers here.
0: That is a purple jalapeno.
1: A purple, but it's almost completely pitch black.
0: Correct. Yes. So as they ripen, they'll go red, but normally you'll you'll be buying green jalapenos to To stuff or or put into a salad. Mm. So this one is purple. It is almost black, but it's called a purple. And when it ripens, it goes red. It becomes a lot sweeter when it ripens.
1: Okay, so now your chili eating competition. Yes. Why do you do it?
0: Because we can. (laughs) (laughs) Why not?
1: (laughs) Okay, so you have, how many people have you had entering this now? So
0: last year, I think we had between 13 and 15 people entering. Mm. And it came down to a chili eat off where we had, we actually had to put the two guys back to back and we gave them a bowl of chilies. And in that bowl, they had, they'd already eaten two Carolina Reapers. In that bowl, there was another two Carolina Reapers. There were three or four habaneros. Um, there was about, about 10 chilies in a bowl. Mm-hmm. And we put them back to back and we said, okay, fine, go. And the first person to finish the bowl won. And, um, it was, it, and they it, didn't die. They didn't die. No, they didn't die.
1: But there have been reports of people dying from eating very hot chili.
0: No, they haven't. Is that just an urban myth? It's a story. It's an an urban myth. Um, You get the occasional person that that might actually have a a pre-existing stomach ulcer that might need to be hospitalized, but no one's ever actually died or had a major medical condition from eating super hot chilies.
1: Have they been blinded from it? (laughs)
0: <laughs> no, I've done a couple of <laughs> of close ones where I've uh, stuck my finger in my eye or or done something stupid after I've been working mm. with chili. But no, no one's been blinded. I, pepper sprays are. A very good um, example.
1: <laughs> okay, well, pepper spray, we're going to keep away from us, I'll tell you that. Um, Living Seeds, how long have you been actually running the company for? And, and why did you start it? I mean, surely, you know, with all, all the big seed companies, you know, sitting here and thinking, well, I'm not going into any of the shops, I'm doing everything online. What on earth made you decide to do this?
0: Melanie, it was never a business idea. First of all, Living Seeds has been going for, as a company, we're now going into our 10th year. I started collecting seed when I was 10 years old and I would walk past a bush and it was shedding seed and I'd put seed in my pocket and I just collected seed and it's just Mm -hmm. something that I did. 22 years ago, we had our first child and as you all want, when you want to feed your child the best things possible and the only way to feed your child the best things possible is if you grow it yourself. And that is when I started collecting vegetable seed and I traded with the Portuguese lady up the road and the Chinese guy down the road and we just swapped seeds. And eventually, people started phoning me and saying, I heard from so-and-so that you've got these strange seeds. I said, yes, I've got. Mm. What have you got to trade? And I'd I'd happily trade seeds. And what happened was, there was a guy down in Cape Town called Steve Fenter. He owns an internet hosting company called Texo. Mm. And he was starting a magazine called Shared Earth. And he was looking for a subscription driver for this magazine. So he phoned me and he said, I want to buy heirloom seed from you. So I said, but it's heirloom seed. You don't sell it. You give it away. Mm. So he says, well, I want to pay you for the seed. So I said, ah, oh, no, don't worry about it. So he said to me, okay, fine, I'll give you a website. I'll give you free, a free website for, I think, it, I think it was the first year. And I said, oh, yeah. okay, that's fine. I sent him the seed and I did nothing with the website. And his second or third edition, he needed a full space inside his magazine and he took a full-page advert saying Living Seeds is launching their website. <laughs> and I was like, Steve, Hello, dude, I know nothing about websites. I don't know how to build a website. He says, Well, you better learn. And that was it. So we launched Living Seeds in August of two thousand and nine. We had thirty-four varieties on the website. And I think we we actually loaded the website with extra varieties that we didn't have to have seed available <laughs> of. And that's how Living Seeds started. And we now I think we've got over a thousand varieties now
1: the the whole concept of she, seed sharing um i i love the story there was a wonderful book um written by Ruth Ozeki uh, all over creation where they are seed activists yeah and they go around saving seeds and um uh, it's just the most beautiful book and i i love that whole concept especially done in the rural areas as well where i know at one stage they were trying to stop people from sharing seeds down in Ponderland i think it was it was something quite bizarre where they weren't allowed to share their seeds with anybody anymore. They wanted them to use GMO seeds. I don't know if it was some kind of, you know, trying to keep people subjugated and, and reliant on getting new seeds all the time. But it's a almost like a lost art. There's been this amazing resurgence with people saying, oh, have you got some of these and sharing plants? I've seen more and more of that happening. And also more and more of people coming in and wanting edible varieties. I mean, if you look at the way that garden centers have changed over like just the last five years – all the different varieties of edible plants that they have brought in at the behest. And I think from people just going in and saying, we're the consumers, this is what we want, why don't you have it? Have you found that because people are coming to you and saying, I want these, that you've actually gone out and found them?
0: Correct. So very often what happens is somebody will, will email us and say, we're looking for this, and... We either have the seed or we know where to locate the Mm. seed. Unfortunately, we can't grow everything, and I wish we could, but we can't. On Living Seeds Farm, we grow anywhere between 800 and 1,200 varieties every single year, depending on what's happening in that year. But we rely on a lot of other people to actually grow seed for us as well. So we have contract growers that grow garlic for us, that grow potatoes for us. We've got guys that grow corn for us as well. We do certain varieties on, on Living Seeds Farm that we that we're working with, but mm. we'll, we'll keep the mother stock and then give them seed starter stock as well. But that whole process takes years. So we've had people um, that have been growing for for two or three years before we actually start supplying their seed because we need to teach them exactly what needs to happen. A lot of people think saving seed is just it's, it's simple, but um, there's certain varieties that that need a lot of knowledge behind it.
1: Yeah, because otherwise, I mean, if you're not storing them properly, if you do have them, all of a sudden you've got ergot and all that kind of weird stuff.
0: Oh, there's wonderful. There's There's all sorts of wonderful things that can happen in storage or in the field, Mm. which you need to guard against.
1: Well, I love, I mean, the whole seed bank thing for me as well. I'm sure that you know that um, in uh, memory of Margaret Roberts. Um, They've been starting to put in seed banks into various schools around the place, apart from the one that they've got out at her farm anyway. And I love the idea of storing these things and making sure that they don't disappear into the ether and just never come back. I mean, you know, we lose species at a rate of knots. We also have people who are creating new species. Do you create new ones? Do you cross-pollinate stuff to create something new?
0: We don't breed new varieties. We have the occasional new variety that pops up on the farm and we'll run it for a couple of years to make sure it actually is a new variety. Mm-hmm. We rely on other breeders to actually produce the new varieties. Um, I just want to go back to the whole seed-saving exercise. And mm-hmm. you'll remember, and a lot of your listeners will remember, a bean variety called Vitsa. It's a runner bean that was freely available for years and it was grown by one specific farmer and he grew Vitz seed for every single seed company in South Africa. Mm. A couple of years ago he passed away and nobody carried on producing Vitz seed. So for the last, I don't know, five or six years, there has been no Vitz seed available in any of the stores from any of the seed companies. And what happened was Home Seed Savers sent us the variety and said, we've got Vitz seed. Please grow Witsa Seed out for everybody else that's asking for vitz Seed. So last year was the first year that we supplied Witsa Seed, and this year we're going to have a bumper crop of vitz Seed. But it's the home seed savers mm. that are more important than the seed companies. It's I amazing. firmly believe that.
1: It's, it's almost the, the more we go forward and we have so much technology and, and ability to do so many things that we actually have a hankering for doing things the old-fashioned way. Correct. My goodness, I like that idea. All right, so we've talked about chilies and um, how many mad people there are out there who want to do California Reaper challenges or the one-chip challenge where people think that they're going to lose their minds. Wasabi is not a thing like that. Was, was, do you grow wasabi at all? I mean, it's a root, isn't it? It's horseradish. A horseradish.
0: We do have two varieties of horseradish that we're growing out. We need to still refine our horseradish production methods because we're a long way from from providing enough horseradish to mm. the home gardener market.
1: So what else is there that's unusual? I mean, you've got um, glass corn.
0: Glass gem corn. It's an awesome corn. It's that's got like,
1: people say, no, you photoshopped that. It can't have all of those colors on one corn cob. Yes, they can. Because I've got little black purple ones, tiny little ones, which gives yeah. you baby popcorn.
0: Yeah, so glass gem is probably one of our current top sellers. Um, strawberry popcorn and the glass gem. World. Strawberry um, popcorn? It's a little, I actually should have brought you some. It's a little, it looks like a giant strawberry. Yeah. Pops. Does it
1: go pink? Unfortunately, not. (laughs) Unfortunately, it comes out like normal popcorn. But the
0: popcorn, it's about one quarter the size of a normal popcorn. Mm. It is brilliant white.
1: Mm.
0: And when you put it into your mouth, it's crispy and then it sort of dissolves in your mouth. It truly is a gourmet popcorn. You only salt it. You can't
1: put butter with it. If Mm. you put butter with it, the actual corn collapses. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, why why is there this amazing fascination with the glass gem? I think it's the colors. Mm. And
0: it's an absolutely stunning corn. Now that's not an heirloom corn, that is an open pollinated variety. It was produced um, by a farmer, his name slips my mind, but it was produced about six years ago in the US from a number of years of line breeding Indian corn varieties. Mm.
1: But it's crazy. I mean, you look at that and you just think, how do they get that right? One of those anomalies almost, which just decided to stick around. But what other unusual things have you got apart from the corn?
0: Right now, I've been playing with okra, so we do about seven or eight different kinds of okra, all different shapes, sizes and colors. Um, we do about maybe 40 different kinds of lettuce, um, we do over 40 kinds of cucumbers, beans, over a hundred kinds of beans, I don't know what, what, what the un- unusual stuff for me. It's not really unusual. It's just it's just something new that we can that we can play with.
1: Interesting with the cucumbers because I have some friends who live down in the Midlands and she loves growing cucumbers. But she grows those big ones which have got like almost the spiky things on yes. them. Yes. So we are so used to getting English cucumbers. Yeah. From the shops, my kids took one look at these and went, "I'm not eating that. That doesn't look like a real cucumber."
0: Correct. So now one of the things that we've done is we've got a show garden on on our farm. What we allow is we allow people to come into the show garden and they can literally walk through the show garden, pick produce, and taste it. Mm. So it's not there to pick produce to take home. The show garden is there for you to actually go through and actually taste all of the different things. And it's it's nice to see people walking down a line of 30 cucumbers and actually sharing all the different cucumbers out. And this one's arguing, Now this one's the nicest. No, that one's the nicest. And each person, they have a subjective idea of what they want their cucumber to be. Mm. And each person has a different favorite. It's, it's exactly the same with tomatoes. You'll have a different favorite to me.
1: What is your favorite tomato?
0: My favorite tomato is the green one. Is the green grape. Um, my next favorite tomatoes are the black tomatoes. My wife likes it, a giant tomato called Kellogg's Breakfast. It's a very, very soft tomato. I can't stand it, but she likes the flavor. <laughs> And uh, my kids sort of cycle through different tomatoes depending on the year. So this year, this is their favorite. The next year, something else is their favorite.
1: I know the Greek tomato is always going to be my favorite. I have to be honest with you. It'll change. When it comes to growing stuff, I mean, how easy is it to grow just for at home? Because this is the thing we hear about growing in this, in, you know, square foot gardening or growing in the space of a door. I know you run courses to teach people how to do these things, but you, you don't kind of sell to shops or anything, so people have to find you online. Correct, yeah. So um,
0: to start a vegetable garden is very simple. Mm. Get some seed, find a patch of ground, find a a nice size pot. I don't normally recommend a pot smaller than about 20 litres. And please don't use garden soil. Actually go to a nursery or or a garden centre, go and buy yourself some good quality compost. Mix that compost 50-50 with your garden soil and plant your seed into that. Um, certain seeds require that you need to start them off in seedling trays. So things like pepper seeds, tomato seeds really benefit from the seedling tray treatment. Root crops you want to you want to sow directly into into yeah, the yeah. garden.
1: The amount of people I have coming and asking me, um, where can I buy potatoes? I'm like, um, at a shop. Where can I get ginger? Uh, at a grocer. <laughs> we don't sell it like that. And they say, oh, but radishes, can't we just grow radishes and you know, get a, a six-pack? And I'm like, you need to grow it from seed because they're yeah. growing in the soil. So you have to explain to people, grow it in the soil because you can't go and plant it there.
0: Correct, yeah. So it, it frustrates me when I walk into a garden centre and I see that they're selling root crops in, in seedling trees. Mm. And it's,
1: well, beetroot, you can do it with beetroot because it starts first and then it, it'll fatten out, won't it? Correct. Well, yeah, it's. But carrots, no. It,
0: it really is better to actually plant them directly yeah. in the soil. Things like your pumpkins, your beans, just push them straight into the soil and they'll pop up as long as it's the right time of the year.
1: That's the thing. Everybody wants to be growing cauliflower in the middle of summer. You can't do that.
0: Yeah. Those cauliflower pizzas are very difficult to grow.
1: <laughs> There's so many. I'm sure that you've got a, a bigger demand for cauliflower these days from people as well. Yes. Um, we're finding
0: that, um, especially with all of the guys looking at, at low-carb diets, we're selling a lot of our cauliflowers. People are loving the broccolis because we don't um, sell the single-heading broccolis. We mm. sell those, those little tender stem broccolis. So they plant three or four plants and they've got broccoli for six months.
1: Yeah, and that's the way to go. So now if people want to learn more about how to grow things, as I said, you do these courses. <laughs>
0: yes. So we don't always do a course on how to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, our next course, which is on the 2nd of March will be a how to grow for winter course, mm-hmm. um, and soil improvement, but typically we'll run through, we do one course a month and and the subject matter varies from pest control, soil improvement yeah it's
1: anything and everything that c- pertains to growing something so that do, you can actually get a good crop
0: correct, yes,
1: and then of course, you've also got the Facebook page where everybody's asking questions all the time
0: oh um living seeds veggie gardeners is a Facebook group we have. Some awesome people on that group that are very knowledgeable, which is great to see, and all different techniques are discussed. So we've got people that do hugelkulti, we've got people that do… Aquaponics. Aquaponics yeah. and hydroponics, and it, and that's something that i got no knowledge of, but they, but they have the knowledge. So everyone's always helping each other out, and um, it's a very, very good community.
1: Okay, and if anybody wants to get hold of you, of course, that's livingseeds.co.za, and can go on and have a look at all of the amazing… Fruits and things. I mean because be a chili is a chili a fruit or a vegetable? Fruit. Okay. Is it a droop or is it a is it a berry? Um. it's a berry. <laughs> I'll put you out of your misery. <laughs> Blackberry is a droop. <laughs> We're gonna have fun with this one. I love testing people on their berries. Banana is a berry. I did not yes a serious. banana is a berry there we go okay so we said livingseeds.co.za and um, I'm going to go and make myself a little smorgasbord with all of the wonderful things that we have here and um, of course thank you so much for coming in and so I'm, I'm eating okra which is really very very tasty so if you need to know about all of these things and you are on Facebook go and join the community as well Sean thank you so much for coming in and joining us Melanie thank you for having me and I'll catch you again on the next episode of Grounded take care bye bye For show notes and more information about this episode, go to solidgoldstudios.co.za forward slash grounded.